Retro Rankings Podcast. I am your host, Paul, and the podcast is presented by Potation Rotation. And when I say that, if you're not familiar yet, Potation Rotation started as a YouTube channel, and it has since branched off into a couple of YouTube channels where we do video gaming and some drinking, though it's a little bit of lighter drinking now. I've kind of got to watch my health. I'll talk about that in a minute. And some reviews, some food reviews, game reviews, game peripheral reviews, all kinds of good stuff. So that's where it started. And the Potation Rotation then started this podcast. And Potation Rotation is mainly me, but some other people as well throughout history of Potation Rotation. So that's why the podcast is presented by Potation Rotation. So right off the top of the show, let me tell you something. Uh, I've gotten two requests so far uh, to be a guest on some podcasts. And I've turned them down. And I'm saying this publicly right now just because I am swamped with things to do between the two channels and the podcast um, and still trying to find time for friends and family. Um, I just don't have it in me right now to do a podcast. In fact, I was supposed to be on uh, the main quest podcast as well. That was something that was pre-scheduled and I could not make that episode. Um, So my calendar is also swamped as well. Therefore, because <laughs> usually I do these things on a weekend um, and I tried to do multiple things on a weekend, like maybe two potation rotation uh, related YouTube videos. And then I'll record a podcast, one of my podcast episodes, of course, once every two weeks. Um, I just haven't had any time and we have to do some stuff on weeknights. I try not to do a lot of stuff on weeknights unless it's something big, like a big game release or something like that. Um, I didn't even have time to do a review on Comic-Con, which is something I wanted to do. It's like, that's part of what Potation Rotation is. It also involves some comics and pop culture and some television. Is it, if it relates to comics or video games, you know, film, if you will. Um, I just, I had no time for Comic-Con. Um, a wrap up of that. So it's been stupid nuts and my calendar is chock full at least through mid September. Um, when I returned from a business trip in Fort Collins, uh, after that, it starts getting a little bit looser. Um, start getting a little bit good to go on that front. So, uh, if you want to reach out, uh, in September to, you know, maybe book me for something in October, by all means, um, you know who you are. You reached out to me through Instagram, but you can also email me at potationrotation at gmail.com. The other thing too, and I address this in a post uh, on my Instagram and my Facebook and my Twitter, my health. Uh, it's been <laughs> spiraling out of control. It's not good. Um, heaviest I've ever been. I started my diet uh, a little over a week ago. You know, I always start at the beginning of the month. That's what I do. Um, over the past few years, I've been doing yo-yos because I can't stick with it. I did one diet once. I stuck with it. It was easy and it was actually kind of fun. It was, yeah, I did the subway diet like 20 years ago and it worked. I dropped like a shit ton of pounds and I actually kept it off for quite a while. Unfortunately, subway is not as cheap as it was 20 years ago. So I don't think a subway diet's going to work uh, anymore. Uh, it's not going to be conducive to my pocketbook, I should say. Um, so I'm also trying to find time to go to the gym for up to an hour, uh, maybe five times a week at this point. Uh, I'm just stupid, stupid busy. Um, so, uh, yeah, my health, uh, there's going to be a little bit less drinking with potation rotation. I can't, like I said in my post, I can't do away with it completely. Otherwise potation rotation gets lost in what it was supposed to be meant for, which is rotating, adult beverages, kind of talking about it, doing something a little bit different, drinking a little bit something different every YouTube episode back then. And um, it's just going to be a little bit less of that now. 
uh, license to drink um, is gone uh, for and that was two reasons for that license to drink uh, because that does uh, really was license to drink was supposed to be what rotation rotation started with. It was, that was the idea was, Oh, we're going to do something on YouTube. And um, it was funny. Cause I was talking about it with some people at work and then talking to my brother about it. It was kind of like the same type. Everybody had like the same idea for me to do that. And that's play some video games while drinking, but in particular, racing video games or getting behind the handlebars of a bike or the, you know, wheel of a car or whatever it may be. As long as you're on some wheels and you've been drinking, that's what started it all. Um, and the rest of whatever potation rotation became was just filler because of COVID. I just wanted some other extra stuff to record. Um, but license to drink was really the idea that started it all. Unfortunately, um, because that really prompts myself and, you know, at the time, Keith and uh, whoever else I was going to have on prompts you to drink. Um, and that's something I'm trying to cut back on. And also, unfortunately, it was also the least watched of any episode that appeared originally on the Potation Rotation channel. And then when they split off um, views and uh, whatever were growing on, or at least they remain consistent on the original potation rotation, the reviews channel slowly saw some growth and some views, um, some interactions, if you will, total watch times overall for every month that I looked at the analytics license to drink wasn't doing well. It never did. It never did well on its own channel. Um, there were some videos where like at the time that I decided to stop uploading the original video on that channel, um, only still had a couple of views and one of them was mine. So, so not good. Um, so I kind of just saw that as a, a way to get out of that. Um, both by, it just wasn't doing well. I can focus on other things. Um, and then I have a better excuse not to drink as often. So, uh, segueing that, um, emails, uh, I got a couple emails, but there's one in particular that I want to share that has to do with my drinking. And uh, this comes from somebody using a at gmail.com um, email address. We're going to call him Rob, which it's kind of ironic getting into this episode. We'll talk about Rob later, <laughs> but we're going to go with Rob on this one. Uh, and Rob says, you don't have to drink on the podcast because the podcast is not potation rotation. Um, well, the podcast, like I said up front, is brought to you by potation rotation. It's still the same family. I still feel like there needs to be some rotating of hopefully alcoholic beverages when I can. Um, but I think I've had one episode where I drank like a soda or something. Cause it was like really early in the morning. I can't remember. Or maybe it was a coffee. I can't remember anymore. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I understand that. I, I kind of see that point and that's something that I could like take to heart. There was, I don't take a lot of constructive criticism um, only because I I'm kind of stuck in my ways and I'm going to do what I want to do though. Somebody at one point over a year ago with potation rotation suggested something. And I actually, um, I actually ran with it and it actually worked. And I don't remember even what it was anymore at this point, because whatever it was, I've been doing it since then. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I'm still going to be drinking. However, however, there's a second part to this email, uh, that's basically says, if you want to cut time and you want to keep listeners more attracted to what you're talking about, don't keep talking about drinking in between your numbers. Okay. Well, Rob, that's actually, it's actually really good. So, uh, first of all, am I going to drink during the podcast? Yes. I'm going to drink during the podcast. Is it always going to be alcohol? No, but I need to drink something because all this talking is going to make somebody parched when they, when they talk like this, like today, I'm not drinking alcohol. Uh, and I'll get to what I'm, drinking in a moment. Uh, however, um, my podcasts are only supposed to be anywhere between half an hour to an hour tops, especially because then 
if I wanted to have guests in, I wanted to try to keep that down as well. I mean, I'm only a single host podcast. Uh, so that being said, I'm actually going to incorporate that. That's a good idea. Uh, I'm not going to <laughs> talk about like every time I'm taking a sip or a drink and, and ooing and eyeing over what I'm drinking in between numbers. Um, I'm going to always just introduce what I'm drinking up front. And then you'll know that that's what I'm having throughout the episode. Okay. And that also will cut my time down too. So thank you, Rob. Uh, you have some numbers in there. Uh, 69. That's original. Good, good email choice uh, for your email address, Rob. What am I drinking today? Well, I'm recording this episode uh, at the same time that I did a YouTube episode, a YouTube reviews episode for Mountain Dew Cake Smash, uh, which aired just a few days ago on uh, Potation Rotation Reviews on YouTube. I was giving away a free can. Apparently, nobody wanted a free can. So, so be it. Uh, the extra can I am keeping in my collector's box and it's on a shelf and it will not be opened. Uh, but I still have a half a can of this cake smash. If you want to know how it tastes, go to YouTube, Potation Rotation Reviews, queue up that episode. You're going to find it as interesting as I found this beverage. So, Mountain Dew Cake Smash. And if I didn't have this to finish, I'd probably be drinking water. So anyway, um, that's what I'm drinking today. That's the direction that this podcast is going to go to. No more uh, talking about what I'm drinking in between numbers. Um, let's just get right into some stuff. I haven't really gone into greater detail um, of what I want to do with some things going forward. I said I was going to have some guests on. That's still going to be a thing. Um, I just want to get to an episode where that's going to happen. I have plans through at least 10 episodes. We're on episode six. So we're getting close. And I think every 10th episode, I'm going to kind of do like just a story. I'm just going to talk because I want you guys to get to know me a little bit better. What makes Paul, Paul. So I'll probably just talk about my past or something. I'll pick like a whole little story to tell. Um, so there won't be any rankings. It'll be kind of like a what some of the other gaming podcasts do out there, kind of like these little side episodes, if you will, these little mini episodes. And I think we do that every 10 episodes. Um, and then, uh, yeah, some of the stuff that, like I said, it's not always going to be video game related. I'm going to rank some movies and some TV shows and comics and stuff like that as well. Uh, those are going to be few and far between. And I have some plans for some guests for some of those. Um, but yeah, so we're only a few more episodes away from story time. But uh, it's also been a few episodes since I've talked about what's going on with video games. Um, let's see, I've been currently playing as of late uh, Skyward Sword HD. I've been going in and out of that one. I'm just about to finish up Spirit Tracks finally, um, because then I can start writing the treatment for the top seven Zelda handheld titles, which... I'm going to try to get everything Zelda in during the anniversary and then maybe never talk about Zelda again ever. No, that's, that's not going to happen. There's always going to be, I'm always going to find reasons to talk about Zelda, but um, that, and I've been going back into uh, Immortals Phoenix rising uh, every now and again, I actually kind of find that game kind of fun. It's, it's kind of, kind of cool. Um, if you haven't checked that out, check it out. I've stopped playing Bale and Wonderworld <laughs> as expected. And the plan was like, if I ever got bored, maybe I'll go in there and, and pick it up and play a little bit of it. Um, will I ever get bored? No, there's always other <laughs> things to play. So I'm pretty much sure that I'm done with Bale and Wonderworld. Uh, I think I got my, you know, 20 bucks in uh, for getting through like half the game. I'm good. Uh, let's talk about some, game releases though um recently and over the next couple of weeks just there's you know a few dozen or so we're not going to talk about that but we got godfall for the ps4 that's out today in fact um no thank you um i godfall isn't exactly a it was a ps5 title that they now decided to release for the ps4 because sony just needs to keep supporting the ps4 for i don't know how much longer it's it's almost stupid how they're doing it, but um, 
Godfall isn't exactly a game that I've talked to anybody about. Nobody talks to me about Godfall. It just never comes up. Uh, Lawnmowing Simulator for the PC and the Xbox series. Uh, that is also out today. Have you guys seen this Lawnmowing Simulator? <laughs> I It legit looks chill and satisfying, and I'm picking it up. I'll be picking it up uh, when I get home later today, downloading it, I should say. Uh, I'm going to do an episode on Potation Rotation of Lawn Mooring Simulator. It looks, I, I love cutting grass. It's like one of my favorite activities, um, owning a home, uh, cutting grass. Like there's just something satisfying about grass cutting to me. And um, I'm totally all about the Lawn Mooring Simulator. So catch that on Potation Rotation probably within the next week. Uh, Hades makes its way to the Xbox on August 13th. If you have not picked that up in the last like year, it's been out almost freaking play that game. It's phenomenal. Um, Oh, can't forget also on August 13th, Paw Patrol adventure city calls for your PC, your PS4, your Xbox one and your switch Paw Patrol Uh, monster harvest is out August 19th for the PC, the PS4, the Xbox one and the switch. Uh, 12 minutes also out August 19th for the PC and the Xbox uh, one. Uh, That is something that uh, I'm looking forward to picking up uh, next week as well. 12 minutes. um, uh, Annapurna. I think that's how you pronounce it. Their games. I've liked all their games and I've been waiting for 12 minutes to come out for some time. And it's finally right around the corner. So I'll be picking that one up and speaking about something right around the corner. uh, Ghost of, Tsushima director's cut uh, for the PS5. Okay. And also for the PS4, but there's also the PS5 kind of gets its own little special dealio. That's August 20th. I never got around to finishing that game. Um, it kind of took a back seat. It's going to be one of those games that just revolves in and out of my playtime. And because I didn't finish it and get very far, I'm going to go ahead and just drop the little extra money for the PS5 upgrade for the director's cut. I'm going to be all over that. Um, If you like your Madden games, you got Madden 22 for the PS5, the Xbox Series, PS4, the Xbox One, and your PC. That's on August 20th as well. Not a football game person, so enjoy football people. Uh, Psychonauts 2. Uh, Everybody's been waiting for a Psychonauts sequel. Here it is. Psychonauts 2. Finally drops on August 25th for the PC, the Xbox Series, and the Xbox One. And No More Heroes 3 for the Switch on August 27th. So, uh, Lot More Simulator, that's totally by the time. I mean, if you listen to this in the morning, I'm getting it this afternoon. If you guys are listening to this at night, I'm probably already playing it. So, <laughs> so I'm definitely getting that one. 12 minutes, and I'm upgrading the Ghost of Tsushima Director's Cut. So let's get into it. Um, Todd says I've done enough talking. So it's time to get into today's episode. And we are going to actually do something a little different. Uh, Instead of a best of, we're going to do worst of. It is ranking the worst seven video game peripherals according to me. So this is going to be interesting because uh, these are only uh, I, I, I've maybe had maybe 14 uh, peripherals in. I'm trying to stay retro here um, as retro as I can. I'm not talking about current peripherals um, within the last five years. I'm talking about five years and out. Okay. Like back to when I was a kid. That's, that's the prerequisite. It can't be within like the last five years. Okay. Um, and so it took me a while to like go through a list of like every single thing and out of every single thing that's been released from like the Nintendo up through five years ago, turns out I didn't have <laughs> a lot of uh, time with peripherals. I had maybe 14 different peripherals that I recall actually playing with. And then there's more per- peripherals that I was familiar with that I was just like, maybe like, nah, I'm not interested in it. I'm not really a peripheral type of guy. I never really have been. Um, I've relied mostly on friends who have owned peripherals uh, for game systems or video games. Um, 
And most of the time, I never bought one after playing them at a friend's house. But we're going to get into like all the details and all that stuff. Uh, I took that 14 that I for sure remember having uh, had contact with. Whittled that down to seven. And let's strap in because here we go. Seven. Anything extra, you can slap on a Wii remote to make playing sports titles more quote-unquote realistic. I mean, I, it doesn't get any more simple than what I just told you. Um, you know, what Nintendo tried to do with the Wii remote, it's hard for me to say Wiimote. I think that's how you're supposed to say it, Wiimote. Um, but the, the, it's hard for me to say that, so we're just going to go with Wii remote. But you could have gotten some licensed stuff, some third-party stuff. There was a lot of stuff that came out for the Wii remote. I'm just going to call it the remote. Uh, where they tried to make the experience more lifelike. So I can tell you that like three of the things that I've had originally for my remotes were the extra tennis racket attachment. So it made it look like you had a tennis racket. I had the gun you just slap the remote inside like this shell of a gun uh, at the top. Um, and then I also had the one that looked like a fishing rod. Um, it just had like a stupid little crank on the side of it. <sighs> I'm pretty sure I bought those individually um, or something. Like I can't remember because I really didn't give a shit. But I know you could also buy like blister packs of just like 20 different fucking things. You can snap your Wii remote into like paddles. So it's like you're playing ping pong. Um, you know, I don't know what else they had, but uh, just dumb. It was, they were dumb. They were clanky. They did nothing. I mean, you know, yeah. Like visually it looks like a cheap, tiny little tennis racket, but it does. It still does nothing. It doesn't add to it. Um, they were marketed as add-ons for the controller, like I said, to make the gaming experience more realistic. They had, like I said, everything. They even had one that like made it look like a tiny little baseball bat or golf club. Um, and other things, like even looking at pictures of the, <laughs> of what was out there as I prepared for this podcast. Like I'm looking at pictures of things that you snap on. I don't even know what the fuck they are. I don't know. They don't look like anything. They just uh, look like a dumb hunk of plastic. Um, and none of them were ever as good as the next one. Like all of them were bad. You know, they were clunky. Like I said, uh, unbalanced, uh, just made it slightly more annoying to play the game. And, um, you know, sometimes like with the motion going downwards and you had it snapped into something like then it would block the remotes, uh, sensor and it wouldn't function correctly. Uh, just, Nothing redeeming in that at all. Simple as that. I think that any kind of attachment for the Wii remote was simply one of the worst video game peripherals ever released. And it comes in at number seven on my list. All right. Getting into six. The Guitar Hero on Tour Guitar Grip for the Nintendo DS. Your inner rock star, guitar hero on tour, rated everyone ten and up. So, for Guitar Hero on the DS, the core gameplay remained unchanged from the other games in the series. Uh, but you required a guitar grip to play the game, and it came part of a bundle that could be purchased for each installment for the DS. 
and you can still buy them actually now anywhere between 40 and 50 bucks depending upon what you get what which game you're gonna you're gonna get um the grip it was designed for the ds Lite, but features a small adapter that can be removed and used for the older nintendo ds models which that's what i had to use because i never had a ds Lite. uh the grip had four fret buttons that were located on the side of the unit near the cartridge slot this is one less than the normal five frets that you would have on your typical Guitar Hero guitar. Uh, included were the orange-colored one, managed by other Guitar Hero controllers. The wrist strap is then attached to the underside to provide support while playing. The player holds the unit in a vertical book orientation, similar to uh, if you ever played Ninja Gaiden, uh, Dragon Sword, or Hotel Dusk, Room 215. That completely underrated title. Hotel Desk Room 215. If you haven't played it uh, and you've got a Nintendo DS, check that out. Underrated title. Great title. Great game to play. Uh, it uses a special guitar pick shaped stylus to strum on the touchscreen of the DS uh, with his or her free hand, depending upon, you know, or they, them, whatever. Uh, <laughs> the note highway uh, and the performance of the chosen character in the band are shown on the opposite screen. As notes scroll down on the note highway, the player must press the correct fret button and strum the touch screen at the same time to successfully score points. While holding a long note, the player can also use the touch screen to apply a whammy effect by moving the stylus across the on-screen whammy bar or anywhere on the screen. After the player has successfully hit the selected series of notes, he or she will gain star power, which doubles the player's score until the meter has run out. This is activated by yelling or blowing into the DS's microphone, which I fucking hate doing. That's the one fucking feature of the fucking DS series that I absolutely... I just nothing more almost embarrassing feeling playing the DS out in public, and then you're required to blow into it, so you're lifting it up to your face a little bit, and... Like, you gotta look like a fucking moron. Like, why do they even think of that? I fucking hate... I, I hate that. I hate it. I hate it. But anyway, I digress. I'm not talking about the microphone feature on the DS. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, um, as I was saying, it was activated by yelling or blowing into the DS's mic. And yelling, forget about yelling. I mean, if you're playing a game in public that now has you yelling into it, like you might as well just close the lid and just go on with the rest of your day. Uh, by pressing any of the face buttons on the DS or by tapping the star power me meter uh, on the touchscreen, uh, so now here's the thing. So that's basically the long and, and short of it. Um, but let me tell you why, why this is number six, uh, on my list. I wouldn't say that this is controversial because some people were probably like, Hey, you know, I can take my guitar hero on the go and we're fine with it. Um, I personally don't think guitar hero was something that was supposed to be made for on the go. Um, but this little handheld accessory, um, for it I, I guess a lot of people liked it but that i'm not a lot of people and this is my podcast and i'm telling you that i i thought that this was dumb <laughs> you have the way you have to do it is that it's it's it makes it impractical uh and 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 like i said it's dumb and it looks dumb and it feels dumb you're you're balancing your ds on the on that strap essentially is what you're doing and you're also trying to read the small screen and press all the buttons and, and having to do that. And I can't visually show you, uh, I wish I kind of could, <laughs> but, uh, if you've played it, maybe you liked it and it's not a big deal, but maybe you've played it and you know where I'm coming from. There's just multitasking, so much multitasking going on and, and the balancing and the clunkiness of it all that it's just not conducive to like a nice fluid gameplay, you know, whereas if you just picture yourself playing guitar hero at home with your guitar, you're just, you know, you're, you're strumming with your right and you're pressing your buttons with your left or flip, flip that around depending upon, you know, what hand you predominantly use for things. And it's just, and you're going and you're going and you're in a groove and there's too much fucking shit and, and touching the screen with the stylus as well and blowing into the micro. Fuck it. Fuck it. That whole, the whole guitar hero really honestly was a, a bad idea. Peripheral itself, just one of the worst 
things that you could get for the DS. And that's why the <laughs> Guitar Hero, Guitar Controller, if you will, the Guitar Accessory, the uh, Guitar Grip is number six of the worst video game peripherals of all time on my list. Five. The SNES Super Scope. You're looking at the next breakthrough for the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. Introducing Super Scope 6. Remote powered and laser accurate. Precise to a single television pixel. It comes with six great games and it's yours for under $70. All of which gets you into the game like never before. Super Scope 6 only for Super Nintendo system and scope sold separately. Now you're playing with power. Super power. The SNES Super Scope, or the Super Nintendo Super Scope, or the Nintendo Scope, as you Europeans and Australians might know it as, was the first party light gun peripheral for the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. It was the successor to the NES Zapper, a much better, in my opinion, uh, light gun, if you will. Uh, the Super Scope was released in North America and the PAL region in 1992 followed by a limited release in Japan in 93 due to Japan being smart. And they were like, we don't need this. <laughs> so the peripheral consists of two devices. Uh, it's got the wireless light gun itself called the transmitter and a receiver that connects to the second controller part of the Super Nintendo. The transmitter has two action buttons, a pause button, a power switch, and is powered by six AA batteries. So why, why does the Super Scope suck well number one it's it's fucking huge okay like compared to the zapper i mean you gotta put this thing on your shoulder like a bazooka okay if you're if you're not familiar with it uh you might have seen it in super mario brothers movie uh they used it as like their like at, at the end of the movie to like zap koopa um those were super scopes that were painted to look like guns from the movie. Um, it, it essentially served the same function as the zapper. It was used to shoot things on the screen, except, you know, it's fucking huge and you put it on your shoulder and you try to use the scope and it was clunky. Um, I think it was like, like two feet in length and it, that was excessive um, when all you needed was a, another version of the light gun zapper for your super Nintendo. Um, because you know, the zapper did the same thing. It, you just needed to just bring that over without making some big ass fucking bazooka. <laughs> um, so, and they must've realized, uh, you know, I don't, I'm not, this isn't like 1995 or six. Um, when it you know it had been out at that point for a, a few years, and there just wasn't that much support. So in that time, you know, three, four, five years—we'll just go three or four years—there um, must have been enough feedback uh, from people. And like I said, Japan didn't even want it in '93. That they really didn't support it, and that's kind of terrible, you know. Like if they would have just released a zapper, there could have been so many more light gun related games that could have been out for the super Nintendo at the time. This was something that I never had. Okay. The other two on my list I had, I never had this. I had a friend, I should say a group of friends that all lived together that had this. And I thought that it was the most moronic thing that I've that I had ever used. Um, I thought the concept of it looked pretty cool. Uh, at the time until I actually used it. And I thought this is dumb. Like you just need a little handheld zapper like you had for the Nintendo and it would have done well enough. Um, so, and of course when you had, if you had the super scope, you had the super scope six game. I think that was like a pack in if I remember correctly. And um, I never knew that the friends that had the super scope, I never knew them to get any other game. They just had Super Scope 6. That was it. They never bought any other game for the Super Scope because obviously, clearly, it seems like they didn't like it either. And that was definitely one that I had hands-on experience with where I was like, yeah, I'm definitely not going to buy this. I don't need it. It's 
And I, you know, I was a big kid. I was a big kid. And I'm pretty sure that I probably looked goofy with it. Um, my friends that had it, my group of friends that had it, they were kind of, you know, big kids as well. They looked silly when I saw them with it. I, I kind of didn't want to be seen with it. So super scope for the super Nintendo entertainment system, just the fifth worst video game peripheral of all time, in my opinion. Rolling right along here with a mouthful of Mountain Dew Cake Smash. <sighs> the Game Boy Camera and Game Boy Printer. When it's least expected, you're elected, you're the star today. Smile, you're on Game Boy Camera. It's fun to look at yourself as other people do. How's your sense of humor? There's a rumor laughter's on its way. Smile, you're on Game Boy Camera. Yes, with Game Boy Camera, you can turn photography into photography. Smile, you're on Game Boy Camera. So we got a twofer here. We got a twofer because they go hand in hand. I never had the Game Boy camera and printer until I had the Game Boy Color. Um, I believe the camera and the printer were available for the original Game Boy, and then you could just use them, uh, I think, for the rest of the other Game Boys. But each one kind of has its own history. So let's, and they kind of go hand in hand. So let's just quickly read each one uh, as as best as we can here. The Game Boy Camera uh, was released as Pocket Camera in Japan and was for the Game Boy console. It was released on February 21st, 1998 in Japan and manufacturing was ceased in late 2002. So it was only supported for about four years. As a toy for user-generated content, it can be used to shoot grayscale photographs, edit them, or create original drawings and transfer images between Game Boy uh, camera units or the 64DD art game Mario Artist, which nobody fucking had that here. The <laughs> accessory featured a 180-degree swivel front-facing camera that allowed users to capture selfies. Its images can be printed on thermal paper with the Game Boy printer. Yep, yeah, see? That's why they go hand-in-hand. The Game Boy Camera's cartridge contains mini games based on Nintendo's early games, such as uh, Space Fever and Game & Watch handheld game Ball, and a chiptune music sequencer. Guinness <laughs> recognized it as the world's smallest digital camera in 1999, and photographers have embraced its technological limitations as artistic challenges. And that's an interesting way of saying, boy, this sucks, what can I do with it? <laughs> Uh, and the Game Boy printer uh, itself was known as the Pocket Printer in Japan and was the thermal printer accessory released by Nintendo in 1998 and ceased production in early 2003. So it came out a little later. It uh, stopped a little later than the actual camera. The Game Boy printer is compatible with all Game Boy systems except for Game Boy Micro, which I never had. And it's designed to be used in conjunction with the Game Boy camera. It also prints images from compatible late-generation Game Boy and Game Boy Color games. It runs on six AA batteries, uses a proprietary 38mm wide thermal paper with adhesive backing, originally sold in white, red, yellow, and blue colors. In Japan, a bright yellow Pokemon version of the Game Boy printer, of course, was released, featuring a feed button in the style of a Pokeball. So, it all sounds... So that sounds pretty interesting, right? Uh, here's the thing. Uh, it pretty much sucked. Uh, <laughs> so I already kind of gave you a hint as to why it was very limited. Um, you know, these days, Nintendo is pretty good with having integrated cameras into their handheld devices, especially the 3DS. Uh, I don't use it often, but every time I do, I'm like, hey, you know what? That's pretty cool what it can do. Um, too bad you can't do much of anything else with the actual photograph that you took. But back in 1998, however, it was a different story with this camera. and It, it was definitely clunky. It added extra weight at the top of your Game Boy or your Game Boy Color uh, for me, which was a slimmer uh, version of the Game Boy, of course. So then you add this peripheral that was pretty much weighted for the Game Boy, and it just made your Game Boy Color 
definitely a little bit more, uh, you know, clunky. Um, it was only black and white, even with the Game Boy Color. Uh, if I remember correctly, you could still only do black and white stuff at a 128 by 112 resolution. So there's, you know, part of your limitations. And it, you know, the printer, like, cool in concept, but basically it was uh, a receipt that you could, like, you know, stick on something. That's what the printer was. It was like, it was like receipt paper that was sticky. Um, and it would fade. It would be blurry. Um, the images would smudge. Um, and, you know, it's the games that came with it, like, were kind of pointless, had nothing to do with anything. Um, it was just bad. I actually bought them for the Game Boy Color. And uh, I thought I had more options. Um, plus the fact that you'd have to buy the paper, this special paper, you couldn't just go to like an office store and buy this particular type of paper for the printer. Um, it was like a special purchase as well uh, above and beyond normal office supply type stuff. Um, overall, it just stunk. It sucked. I used it maybe for like not even a day like, oh, let me just draw some shit or print some pictures out from the uh, from the peripheral or take some pictures from the camera, print some stuff out. Oh, cool, cool. Let me just, you know, maybe tear this one off and, you know, stick it on my, you know, I, I kept a, at the time, I had an, an art sketchbook. Um, and I still actually have it. I just haven't sketched in it in like 25 years or something. And let me just peel some of these out and just stick them on a page. Oh, that's nice. Oh, that one's smudged. Like, okay, forget it. Fuck it. I'm done with it. It sucked. The the combo. The combo Game Boy printer, Game Boy camera. Uh, one of the worst peripherals, in my opinion, ever released. Number four on my list today of the worst seven video game peripherals. All right. So we're getting into the last three here and i will tell you right now that it seems to alternate i've had it i didn't have it i had it i didn't have it the power pad for the nintendo you better get ready for the most challenging nintendo system ever ready let's do it the new power pad it's only available in nintendo's new power set now you're playing with body power you've got to run jump Faster, higher. The Nintendo Power Pad puts you in total control. You are the game. You are the power. Now you're playing with power, body power. You get the Power Pad, Control Deck, Zapper, and three games only in Nintendo's exciting new power set. It was something that I did not own, but I had a friend that did own it. Um, so again, kind of along the lines of the Super Scope, it was one of those things where, you know, my friend told me they had it. And I came over and it's like, yeah, let's use this power pad. And then I realized it wasn't something that I really needed in my life. But let's talk about it a little bit here. The power pad, also known in Japan as the family trainer, and in Europe and briefly the US as family fun fitness, it was a floor mat game controller for the NES. It is a gray mat with 12 pressure sensors embedded between two layers of flexible plastic. So kind of if you want to picture it, Think of the game Twister, and not as colorful, with only 12 pressure sensors in some cases. Sometimes even the earlier uh, Side A version only had like uh, eight, I believe. And it just kind of looks ridiculous. Anyway, um, it was developed by Bandai, and they first released the accessory in 1986 as the Family Trainer Pack for the Famicom in Japan. And then, like I said, later released in the U.S. in 1988 as the Power Pad, along with the game World Class Track Meet, which was a rebranding of an earlier game. So the Power Pad and World Class Track Meet, uh, yes, those were the two things that go hand in hand that I had feet on, if you will. Um, experience with. You take a look at how fitness has evolved in video gaming, because that's essentially what this was. It was just a way to get a little bit of workout 
when you're playing games. And to be honest with you, as a child, that was dumb. No child wanted to essentially work out, no matter how cool Nintendo thought it would have been to be like, oh, look, at I'm running in real life and my video character, your video game character is running. Um, like connecting those two to a kid, like it's cool for like five minutes. And then you're like, boy, I'd rather just sit down and with a controller and just play a game. Fuck this. Like I'm fucking tired. Like, okay, now let's go outside and play hide and seek, you know, <laughs> and then you're still running around outside. But, you know, it's workout games have come a long way. Of course, you know, uh, most recently you had the, we kind of like brought, you know, fitness and aerobic training type stuff to the forefront. I know there was like a shitload of Zumba games that came out and stuff like that. Uh, now you have the ring fit adventure for the switch, which was huge. Um, it's just, they're done so much better. In fact, ring fit adventure might probably be one of the best video game peripherals and games of all time. But back then, like this was just dumb. Like I said, it looked like a twister mat only like scaled down. And, uh, and by the way, too, as far as like games were like movement was key, like you could actually, uh, use it to cheat, uh, a little bit more. Um, but it really was like, you know, it, it was, it was a controller that got you off your ass and got you to try to move. And as a kid, like it just was like dumb. It just made no sense. Um, you know, but I will give it one thing in that it paved the way for later technology to better utilize that type of peripheral in like dance mat controllers of the nineties, which ended up being huge and dance dance revolution in the arcades. I think that that's where all that stuff started from was the power pad, but the power pad overall just sucked. It wasn't fun. I would go to my friend's house every weekend, the one that had it. And like, we used it the once when he got it, we never played it again. Like it, I don't even know whatever happened to it. I don't know what he ever did with it. I just never saw it. I never saw it anytime after the initial playing with it. And so I definitely was like, I don't need it. And it was kind of funny back then as we get into actually <laughs> this one and the next two are all kind of in the same era. Uh, you, you kind of get to go around and you get to like tell people that might be talking about it or, or whatever that like, Oh yeah, I got to play it like at this person's house and it sucked. Like it sucks. Don't worry about it. Like it's not fun at all, you know? And that was kind of like how you got the word around on if something was good or not. Um, and you know, the power pad just wasn't so, and that's why it falls at number three on my list today. All right. Two. The Power Glove. What is that? Fire from the gods. I don't know. Power Glove. I love the power glove. It's so bad. Hmm. The power glove. So the power glove is something that I owned. Though my memory is extremely hazy. Extremely hazy on it. It came out... Uh, well, I was going to tell you how much it was. It was 75 bucks when it came out. Which, you know, is pretty expensive for a controller back then. That's like buying a $150 controller nowadays. I would, I would, I would assume I know I had it. And I remember that there was, I don't know if it was my mom or my dad and, you know, I could interview them for things like this just to get clarity. But I know that one of them made the comment that I never used it. My friends that came over, used it once, didn't care to ever use it again. Um, it just wasn't something that was ever used. And so that's why my memory is hazy on it. But the power glove, like I said, it's a controller accessory for the NES. 
and uh, it gained public attention due to its early virtual reality mechanics and the marketing around that. It made it seem like you're slipping your hand in there, and then your hands in the game, and you know you're you're in the game, you know, with your hand. Uh, cool concept. However, the two games um, that it supported didn't sell well, and it was not packaged with a game. And so it was also criticized as well beyond that with uh, imprecise and difficult to use controls, which they tried to make it look like if you watch The Wizard, that they're playing uh, dudes playing the Power Glove with uh, Rad Racer, I think it is or something. I can't remember. I just watched it. I just watched it recently and I can't, I can't even remember. And the way he's he's moving his hand makes it look fluid and the car is driving and it's and but the thing is is it's fake like that's the power glove is not really controlling that game somebody else is controlling it with a controller somewhere or maybe it's like a pre-recorded or something but that's not it didn't work that well at all um so i remember having uh, there was a game that that had to be purchased separately uh, it was like a handball or something. I actually don't remember super, super glove ball. That's what it was called. Super glove ball. Um, and I mean, that was, it was all right. Uh, like I said, it wasn't very responsive, like at all. It super glove ball ended up being actually more easy to play with the controller, believe it or not. The Power Glove, I don't know what else to tell you, man. Power Glove just sucked. If you're not familiar with it, it, it looks like it's got like a control pad uh, above the wrist area with some additional input uh, buttons, um, numerical, I think like zero through nine, um, and then like an enter button or something. And they would... Pro, use those program buttons and numbers to input commands and customize some features depending upon what game you're playing. You could also use hand motions to control actions on the screen, though that wasn't good at all. Aside from Super Glove Ball, um, there was Bad Street Brawler, which is was a beat 'em up. I never never played that one. Didn't care to, um, and it didn't work very well. Those were the two games that were released specifically to support the power glove nintendo didn't release anymore and any other game you tried to play with it fuck it like it just mario brothers no no uh it was just too imprecise and too difficult to use and even though it looked awesome and i had friends that wanted to come over and play it like i said i barely used it i think i don't know how long it sat it they didn't make it for more than a year the power glove was not manufactured for more than a year, and yet that was supposed to be Nintendo's big thing. Come to think about it, Nintendo tried to do a lot of big things with the NES. That never fucking worked. The power pad didn't work. The power glove didn't work. The only thing that worked, it seems, is the zapper. Like, less is more, Nintendo. Back then, less is more. That's all you needed. That's all a kid needed to be happy. A controller, his light gun zapper, and some good games where that shit actually works. But yeah, power glove. I mean, y'all got to know what the power glove is. Y'all got to know what the power glove is. Y'all got to know that. I mean, it looks cool on a shelf. I kind of still want to buy one just for display purposes. Uh, but other than that, it, it, it was, it was bad. Power glove. Number two on my list today. Nintendo. Nintendo. Hey. <laughs> Uh, I mean, you can tell uh, this has been a <laughs> Nintendo episode because <laughs> Nintendo, these are all Nintendo peripherals. Number one is Nintendo peripheral. Uh, Nintendo just had so many, so many failures. If I were to get, tell you what my other seven were, uh, I'll tell you that two more were Nintendo and the other five were not Nintendo. Um, I'll tell you that much. Unfortunately, uh, there's just so many bad Nintendo ones. One. ROB, the robotic operating buddy, is number one. 
on my list today. Will you be the one to witness the birth of the incredible Nintendo Entertainment System? The one to play with Rob, the extraordinary video robot, batteries not included. He helps you tackle even the toughest challenge. Will you be the first to raise the incredibly accurate Zapper and play games like Duck Hunt or action-packed Hogan's Alley and high-flying Kung Fu, each sold separately? Will you be the one to experience the Nintendo Entertainment System? Comes with Rob, Zapper, Control Deck, two controllers, Gyromite, and Duck Hunt. Did I own Rob? No. I had a friend who owned Rob. Rob, R-O-B, the robotic operating buddy, was a toy robot accessory for the NES. It was launched in July 1985 as the family computer robot in Japan in October 1985 as Rob right here in North America. Its short lifespan yielded only two games, (laughs) just like the Power Glove, in the robot series Gyromite and Stack Up. Following the game crash of 1983, Nintendo alleviated the fearful retail market by rebranding its Japanese Famicom video game console as the Nintendo Entertainment System here in America. And a new platform focused on ROB, or Rob, we'll just call him Rob, to further reclassify the system as a uniquely sophisticated and toy experience, if you will, instead of simply as a video game console. Computer Entertainment Magazine in June 1985, called Rob the world's only interactive robot. The Aeneas's extensive marketing plan centering on Rob began with the October 1985 test market launch of the Nintendo in Manhattan, New York. The launch was Nintendo's debut in North America video game console market, which eventually revitalized the entire video game industry as we know it, setting forth in motion. Well, I mean, here we are today, right? Rob was quietly discontinued, though, a few years later and is now remembered as a successful Trojan horse of marketing. He has a cameo or playable character in many Nintendo games, especially Super Smash Brothers, of course, because that's all he is good for. Uh, Rob. Like I said, I had a friend that had Rob. I, I did not have hands on. So I guess this is kind of like a lie, I guess. Um, I did not have hands on personal experience uh with rob but i watched him have uh hands-on experience with rob and i could see his frustration in what was going on with it um which is that it just did these things and dropped like a gyro we were playing the or he was playing the gyro game rob would like have like this gyro thing in his robotic arms that would drop or something, if I remember correctly. And it didn't seem, it it seemed like the interaction, like it was like doing things off to the side, but yet the player was doing most of like the work. It almost was just like a, like a showy thing. Like it, it didn't mean anything. And there was like some frustration that it seemed as if like my friend wanted it to do more, but it it didn't do like as much as he wanted it to do, which is why I think it was like poked fun at because there was supposed to be like physical, these physical obstacles. Like I said, like this, like gyro thing, um, you know, you would set it up for him to move around these physical obstacles while the television was, was giving Rob directions, which I still to this day really, don't know how that works, except for the, I remember the flash on the, back then you had the CRT televisions, but you know, I, it just, it seemed like a waste. It was like a hunk of space taking thing it, that really added no value to the gameplay. And obviously many people must've thought that if only two games were ever released for it. And I don't remember there ever being another game game that he could actually do anything with because these games had to give commands to Rob. And if only two games are going to be released to give commands to Rob, Rob just sat there with every other game that you played like on a shelf or on the floor or in the corner, like doing nothing. The, one of the biggest wastes I think of anything you can buy for, for a video game system. Uh, other than that, uh, I mean, he makes a cool amiibo and obviously he's, you know, a good, character if you will to play in super smash brothers but kind of goes down in history 
he's got to appear at number one in so many of these lists. I, I don't know, but for me, it's number one because you could do with, with everything else. Like you could do things, you know, or things made a little bit more sense, even if they sucked. Rob just makes no sense. It just makes no sense. Like, you know, if there was a hundred titles and his interaction with the game and the player made sense, maybe he'd be worth it, but that never, it never happened. Laughing stock of Nintendo, so much worse than the power glove, yet nobody really talks about Rob that much. I'm talking about Rob and Rob is number one on my list today. That's pretty much going to do it. That is my top seven worst video game peripherals of all time, in my opinion. But before we go, it's time for Podorota Players Pro Tip of the Day. Oh, yeah. So what is the Podorota Players Pro Tip of the Day? Well, it's a pro tip. And as we all know, pro tips can either be useful or they can be jack shit or somewhere in between. You never know what you're going to get. Pretty much my pro tips have been pretty useful. So what are you going to get today? Well, today we have a tip for the Guitar Hero on tour Nintendo DS game with the guitar grip that we talked about, number six. My tip is if you take the game out of your Nintendo DS, along with detaching the guitar grip, you can throw that shit straight into the trash and instead of play the fucking kick-ass Guitar Hero 3 Legend of Rock, which in my opinion is the best Guitar Hero of all time. So I guess I'm kind of doing a little plug here for Guitar Hero 3 Legends of Rock. Uh, that came out probably about, what, 13 years ago or so. Um, and uh, it was the first in the series to introduce battle mode. Fucking battle mode where you're going head to head with your friends, relying on a vast array of power-ups to emerge victorious. I think that like as far as threes go um, in series... Super Mario Brothers 3, for example, like Guitar Hero 3 is a, a three in a series where it is actually the best game in the series, in my opinion. Um, it also altered the timing for hitting specific notes. It is known for having one of the best set lists, in my opinion, of any Guitar Hero game. But then again, I'm going to be kind of biased because I am a rockhead. Um, it, a lot of people have the Wii, right? I mean... It was one of the best-selling Nintendo systems of all time, so you probably got a Wii sitting around. If you don't already have Guitar Hero 3, go out and pick up Guitar Hero 3 for your Wii. Otherwise, it's also available for the 360 and the PS2 or your PC. You got to have any of those shit. But yeah, fucking throw that Ontour shit in the trash with that peripheral or try to get a couple bucks for it at <laughs> GameStop or something and try to trade up to guitar hero three. Uh, but did you know that um, poison singer, Brett Michaels, by the way, he appears on a couple of songs, namely go that far and talk dirty to me. But uh, I guess here's kind of like a pro tip. Uh, he isn't playable without the use of a cheat code, which unfortunately is only possible on the 360 and PS versions of the game. Um, but if you want another pro tip for that, you're not going to get it here. There's only one pro tip. That's going to be it. And that is, you know, it's just better to rock out with your cock out solo in the privacy of your own home. Uh, I mean, or with your friends, whether you want your cocks out or not is your preference. You know, if there's more than one of you whatever, but yeah, guitar hero never should have been something to take on the go. And that is my Porto Rota players pro tip of the day today. Oh yeah. Well, that's going to wrap up today's episode wrecking the worst seven video game peripherals of all time, according to Paul. I thank you guys for listening. If you need to reach out, you can email me at potationrotation at gmail.com. There you'll find the links to everything, the YouTube channels. The current episode of Retro Rankings Podcast is always uploaded there as well, just in case you don't have a favorite podcasting platform, but we are available there as well. You can reach me at my social media accounts, those links are also on the website. Your one-stop shop for all your flotation rotation needs. I'm going to head out. I got things to do. Like I said, I'm a very busy person. I'm going to see you guys in a couple weeks for another new episode. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.